Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about why you should consider not working your soybean fields. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at Asian copper leaf, as it, that invasive species is making its way into Iowa again. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about World Dairy Expo. We'll have our cool beans that's corny with some current events and wrap things up with our Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Anybody regretting getting up at 8.30 in the morning to watch <laughs> football on the last Sunday? A little bit. A little yes. bit. First half was good. I wasn't because I was on an airplane, mm. and mm. I had a monitor in front of me that... Actually had the game on, so nice. I was entertained. I was pissed, but I was entertained. Bill's now on a no-fly list, right? He got yeah. <laughs> the plane was forced to land when Bill just started throwing things around the plane. The highlight, though, was the Mercedes Lewis touchdown. I literally audibly clapped in my chair when that happened. It, w- it was an impressive play, you know, that they roll them out and. Get the big dog some. You just reminded me of people who clap when the plane lands. <laughs> what a bunch of losers. Did you clap when the plane landed? No, actually, one of the flights, though, the landing was pretty. It's like, ooh, that wasn't as good as it normally is. I don't remember where we were, but I think well, it was landing into Minneapolis. When we came back from, uh, what was it, uh, San Antonio that time on the icy runway. I don't remember, did people clap or not? I know we were all like kind of iffy because we had yeah. to circle Milwaukee for yep. a while we, before. We went around like twice. and Every plane I've ever been on, people have clapped when we landed. I've always been like, they're literally doing their job. <laughs> well, Max, why do you yeah. hate airline pilots? Do you well, clap for me every time I turn in a neutral manual plan? No. <laughs> Should you? Because sometimes I drive here and it's icy to submit them. <laughs> Yes, but our lives don't depend on you <laughs> turning in that nutrient management plan. Our lives do depend on the pilot actually knowing what he's doing and your not life depend, us. Your life does depend on me parking in this parking lot effectively without driving through the side of the office. So eh, that wall would slow you down. <laughs> it's pretty sturdy. I'm, I'm on the opposite side here. We're, we'll be good. Anyway. Yeah, it sucked. So, it so sucked getting up for that. Was it a three and out? Is that what just you're like? This is done after that. Like, yeah, that half, that, that drove me that. nuts. Of so, the defense was not playing well. You know, they were they played pretty well the rest of the game actually, or the or before that, and they were just gassed. And it seemed like Joe Barry didn't have any answers, and they had all the answers. And then we took like three long bomb passes and three and out, and our defense is back out. I was almost looking to see number 17 at the other end of those long bomb passes. Yeah. Even though he wasn't there, he was pushing down reporters. But it, was, it went it like back to the NFC Championship game again where this, let's just chuck it and yep. see what happens. I still felt like they weren't running a full prevent defense, but I still feel like our foot comes off the gas on defense, and I hate it. I hate it so much. You you watch any other NFL games though? That's the way it is. Like, there's Why no though? lead that's safe anymore. I, but I don't know if it's a mentality thing or but like we, a, took, I, we went from pressuring the quarterback right. every play to no pressure at all. No no blitzes, running three man fronts. That's it. Why? For 
Did, well, did we gain anything? No, they still threw the ball all over. So why don't you at least bring some pressure and try? Why on like third and eleven do they stand at thirteen I, yards this, with practice squad wide receivers? Right. No, why not? You've got some of the best secondary, which, which currently our secondary is rated the worst, is it? least interceptions, least knockdowns by a lot. Like we uh, only Eric, have Eric seven. Stokes's numbers. Yeah, he looks rough. like a rookie this year, not a second year guy. Well. He's kind of slumping, second year slump, kind of. It, but yeah, they. It was like both sides were. You could just see it, the wheels falling well, off. Well, there were a couple dumb penalties, and Razul Douglas got called two, out a couple times. Two of them. They were both on were, sacks too. Yeah, that would have ended drives right. and then gave him fresh set of downs. And I think I think we probably have to give Eric Stokes a little bit of credit because he does guard the best wide receiver from everybody we play because. Jair Alexander doesn't shadow the best wide receiver, so they're like, oh, that's fine. We'll just, we'll just go over to that. So then he, Stokes, I think Stokes gets kind of screwed on that deal. Yeah. But, but yeah. you're right, too, Todd. I heard that same stat of the pass breakups. Like, there's single players that have more pass breakups than our whole team than, does. Than our secondary, yeah. It's, which is not great. And, you know, the offense could have mitigated that some of that, but they didn't. I mean, the offense stalled out right. more often than not. Right. The offensive line seemed to give up at the end. I mean, there were unimpeded rushers getting in there, batting down balls and stuff at the end of the game. It's just, yeah. And you didn't get that fumble on the punt. Yeah, there was that punt that you could have had that fumble. And just those, like, like momentum-turning plays aren't happening. Yeah, there's one for the analytics crowd out there. Make that make sense. Like, tell me that that do- stuff doesn't make a difference in a game. Right. Like, it's all about numbers. No, it's not. The stuff, those plays that go the wrong way. Although, they're, well, okay, here's a good one. There's a stat that, like, if you get a safety or, like, I know I'm not, I'm going to have the number wrong, but it's, like, you're 54% more likely to win if you get a safety. Okay. It's, like, astonishingly big. Well, Unless the safety comes in the last, like, 30 seconds of the game. For a punter. Well, that's the that's the probably the forty six percent that it's not included is last minute ones. So, but still, like we were, we beat the odds. We got safety. We still lost. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you sleeping on the Jets, or you think they're gonna? I'm a little nervous. These are some of those games that you you yeah you lose the Giants that sucks, but also now we go to lose the Jets. We go like, oh man! We haven't lost consecutive is... games since McCarthy was here. So. Yeah. Yep. And well, on on the other side, you got Lifler's brother, and then his like buddy. Yeah. And Salah, so yeah, that'll be interesting too. They kind of know each other pretty well. Yeah, kinda, kinda. I don't know. I'm not sleep. I'm not sleeping on him. That's for sure. I'm a little, little nervous. A little nervous. Good news, it's at home. Yeah. Yeah, you hope they can. What do you mean, what do you mean that game in, that was a home game? Yeah. Yeah. Last week in, in London. London. Did you know anybody that went? No. No. Joe Sinkula, our oh. super listener, was there yeah. with his son. Either. That's cool. Like, that had to be wild. It would be fun to hear stories about how it was there. Yeah, so there you go, Joe. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to have you on do some, you can talk about your experience in London. Sounded like there's a lot of Packer fans there, so 
it seemed like there were quite there a few. Was, there was also a lot of giant fans. Like, it yeah. was, yeah, it wasn't. I did notice. I, I struggle with that being considered. Like, I don't care that they went there a lot, but, like, that it was a home game for us. Like, that sucks. That's not, that's not how it should be. You shouldn't. If, uh, it, if I had to guess, I would think the Packers and the Giants would be, like, the two biggest fan bases in London. You know what I, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Sense. Like those are two very because they go to yeah, Packers New York travel, is right there. Yeah. travel well in New York. Yeah, is close. Well, I, I, the whole thing about according to according to some of the stuff I was watching last week about the Packers being in London, people like they're owned by the people that there isn't an owner. Oh, that's sure. an endearing thing to sure. people. So, to me on the TV, and I didn't have the sound up because I really didn't care. Actually, like when the Giants were coming back and they panned to the crowd, I saw like three or four times like giant fans like taunting Packer fans. Yeah, I yeah, it was, it was weird. Too. No, it was did, dumb. Did you see the the Giants fans chanting in the in the parking lot? No, it was uh, shove that cheese up your. You know what? That was their chant. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Actually, it was really funny. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Forget about it. Well, no, these are British. British Giants, Giants fans. fans, yeah, it was that. That made it even funnier. Like, oh yes, shove that cheese up your rear. Ho ho ho! This, this is the rating for all of the UK. But Miami Dolphins one, Dallas Cowboys two, New York Giants three, Green Bay Packers four, Chicago Bears five. Well, the so Dolphins, the Dolphins and Bears have just played over there a ton. Okay, because they suck, so they would have to play over there a ton. Because for a while, it was only the crappy teams that played over there. Right. So do you think those fans packed their cheese head or found one over there? That's a lot of real estate in your bag. To Dude, you can smush that thing down. <laughs> just in Put the, it in like, a vacuum yeah, seal vacuum bag. Yeah, seal bag. And take like, all the air out of it. Sure, okay. I don't know how that looks in security with this, yeah. this like yellowish-orange blob <laughs> stuck in a vacuum seal bag, but... Sir, I'm going to have to inspect your cheese head. But hey, at least the Badgers showed up on Saturday. Yep, so. new coach bounce. It's all right. He's, they had a fight in practice this week, and their five-star like tackle was part of the – and he would like, get out of here. Like he, like he quit, right? Or, so, or they no, they got, dismissed him. Like Jimmy ain't screwing around. Dude plays zero games. He's yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah, like I mean that was like their biggest tackle recruit in a long time. And okay, you're a dick. You're out of here. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wild. I mean, hopefully it works out. But right. no, but that sends a message to the rest of the team. That's well, for sure. Like, wait, what? Like, well, and he's he he said it. And there needs to be a culture change. There's some culture things that need to be fixed. So there you go. He doesn't want he doesn't want to be Paul Chris two point right. right? He wants to be Jim Leonard one, right? So make some changes. That's a good way to do it. Win it's a game and then it's a bold move. Get rid of some people. See yeah. how it works out. Yeah, I would say it's scary to dismissing a guy like that as you're the interim coach. I would think that's quite the quite the move to make. But and he wasn't living up to his fight his start no. rating. He he should have been starting as a sophomore, and he's not even starting now. Right. So there's some of that too, but at the same point, but you're not performing and you're fighting in practice. Get lost. Yeah. It was 
it was good they had to play Northwestern because Northwestern's bad. Yeah. They're really bad. Yeah, that stadium was pretty empty by the fourth That was quarter. weird. Yeah, it looked like a... It was it was bad empty. I was like, wait, what's going on? I it was, was like, in Ed- Evanston, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I, honestly, I don't know why, because it always happens that way. That's what they say about that stadium. Like, it's so boring and blah. That That's how you lose. Yeah, at, at eleven o'clock on Saturday morning when you're the number three team in the country. But I would <laughs> think it's half should be half red at that point. Like, it's sure, close. It's not far. They know it's yeah. a ticket. Like, I don't know. Guess if I lived in Racine, maybe or down that way, maybe. I'd you consider that, but but you're right, Max. That's why we lose there is because it's just a. It's like playing in purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> some high school stadiums are louder. Oh, I would imagine. I, there's probably some Texas stadiums that are bigger. Oh, easily. Yeah. They actually said during the broadcast they're knocking Ryan Field down and like starting a brand new field. With like half as many bleachers. Yeah, literally, like they, I forget what he said, like 20,000. They're not going to have a bowl anymore. They're just going to have bleachers on both sides. <laughs> there's definitely relegation. There's definitely football stadiums in Texas that have more than that. Oh, yeah. They're just going to share with the local high school. Ugh. All right. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. Ready. So, Bill, this one was, was your episode. So, why shouldn't we work our bean field? Yeah, Todd and I have these conversations all the time, especially about our our own farm. Like, ah, he's out there working that bean field. Like, why are we doing that? So that just kind of just kind of brought up some thoughts to me. Like, is there really a point? Like, should we even be out there? Like, and why? So, kind of wanted to go through the negatives, positives, just get your guys's take on it as well. But. Um, Obviously, with soybeans, you know, the first thing comes to my mind is there's absolutely no stubble or no residue left, right? We always talk about 200 bushel corn and how much trash and a mat it leaves behind. And Don't use the trash word. <laughs> it's very valuable. Stover. Stover. Yes. Stover. Residue. The residue. Yes. But it's I, like I think dirt. This is, yeah, it is the equivalent of that. Okay. I will never use it again, Todd. Sorry. <laughs> I, I would also say, like, there's not a lot of it. And even what is there is so, like, fragile and yeah. breaks right, down break so down. easily yeah. that, I mean, like, I've been in fields where a week after they were harvested, it's like, holy man, this, this stubble broke down already quite a lot. And you can still see, like, if they are long term no till, you can still see, like, the previous year's corn stuff out there. Right. But have you ever seen, like, a previous year's soybean? Anything you know? Maybe, any resin? Maybe the like the, the stalks sti- sticking out. Yeah, of the, the real. Yeah, the base. Yeah. The base. Right. Yeah, but maybe. but like it is, yeah, so easily to break down that and such low residue that I would agree that that is like the a number one reason that if people say, well, I'm I'm tilling because like of corn residue, like I want to manage my residue, like go for it. It's fine. There's a lot of residue with corn. Right. But with beans, it's like that that shouldn't even be a reason. Like there is no, like you are not managing residue with any tillage. There is no residue to manage. Well, and even think about like there is plant material there. So you think, oh, you know, during the season when you're walking soybeans and they're at your chest and you can't walk through them because it's such a tangled you know, mess. Tangled mess and you're just 
legs are just burning because you're trying to walk <laughs> through the mass yeah, you know. As you're, as you're going to trip because just right. three soybean plants are now wound around your leg. And you're oh, this is going to leave a lot of residue behind that, you know, can break down and save soil. And then you get to harvest, like Todd said. and It's like a stick with a bunch of pods on it. Yeah, that's all that's left. It's just very, di- yes. I mean, the leaves, like, let's think about that for a second. The leaves drop starting in like, end of august early september depending on the year yep you start getting the leaves dropping and yeah they're gone by the time it's ready to harvest half the leaves are already gone most of the time so and they're not like tree leaves that just blow to the neighbors (laughs) no they break down they break down right right? they fall and the worms are working at them and you never you don't talk to growers about oh we better throw some nitrogen out there to stimulate residue breakdown Yeah, we never worry about the combine getting caught up with a leaf mass. When you think about how many leaves really were out there to begin with, like you'd think there'd be a pile that you'd be trying to nose through to get at the beans, but there's not. No. But walking through beans right as right at leaf drop and seeing how much is on the ground, it's hard to believe that that's gone by the time you harvest. It's, right. It's yeah. nuts. The whole ground is covered. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. So so I agree with you guys 100% leaves. Then you go to the stem or the stalk. And a corn stalk versus a soybean yeah. stem, too, like very different. Very the, a, right. soybean, a soybean like, stem is like the equivalent of the midrib on a corn, right. corn leaf. <laughs> right. right. There's no no massive like one or two inch round or that stalk one, there. Or that one corn plant that emerges like three weeks later than everybody else yeah. and it's like a pencil. Yeah, let's even talk like corn heads now we're getting to these new style corn heads that have different ways to chew up the corn stalk you know to to tear it up laterally so that it breaks down quicker and we have like all the technology going into that side of not just say more heads but going to okay how can we open this stalk so it breaks down in soybeans like that's not a thing like there's no separate head to worry about breaking down soybean residue like it just breaks down and it, it almost some of that's already breaking down before you even harvest, it seems like it's just that's how they kind of mature. So yeah, I this one is to me the the biggest reason is just that you you almost need that little bit of residue that is there to be on the surface to right. protect the soil. Right. Like when we talk about soil health and armor, like you, you're not going into the winter with much armor. Like this is, you know this this isn't like a full on like what corn residue would be like you're wearing like a full-on sort of night suit you know you got your whole armor going like this we're lucky to have what this is the cod piece yes i was just gonna see maybe (laughs) the chainmail underwear is all that's left out there (laughs) robin hood men and tights yes Yes. and it almost it it almost comes to a point of like you just want to ask why like why would we even think about doing this? Oh, well, we chisel, so that's what we do, right? Like, Do you think sometimes it's like the timing, too? Like, we're waiting for grain corn, we need something to do? I, yes. I do think that is a good point in this bill, is like every time you till, you sh- should in general ask why, especially on soybeans, because there might be... I, I don't want to say there's never... Like, this would be like you never... Like, say you got ruts in the field, or you have... You know, there you have a true compaction layer somewhere. Then, then yes, yeah. you do need to till it. But ninety percent of the time, I don't know what the percent would be. You you don't need to till it. And then, so like you said, you should ask yourself why. And then the bigger part is, is like you should ask yourself what else you could be doing on the farm. Yeah, especially a year like this. Like, 
Heck, you might be better off sitting in your office on your computer and studying grain markets right now and fertilizer input prices and and putting some pencils of paper on that than you would be in that tractor tilling. Yep. Like you would way, make way more money by doing that. So that's the other part is like, like you say, you always have that like, oh, dad needs something to do. You know, so we got them out tilling. Well, send them to the coffee shop. I, right. Take that yield data that you throw in a drawer every year and start going through it and see how much right. you actually yielded on those fields. Right. And I think the other thing, too, it's not only like the time and the fuel. Obviously, fuel is high right now. I know of some guys that booked a lot of fuel last year before it went up, so they're sitting pretty good, but not everybody. But it's also, depending what kind of tillage you're doing now, you got to do more next spring to get yourself ready to plant. So now you've just... Yeah, now you're spending another gallon, right, gallon and a half to the acre on tillage. You've just added yourself one or two more passes next spring. So if you leave it be, something else you can do this fall. Your fields are prepped for next year. And I like, I mean, I think no-tilling corn into soybeans is, is a pretty good soil bed for the most part. I, that's the other part with this is the guys that want to tell you, you could still till in the spring. Yeah. Like, that's fine. I, I, you probably won't need to, but you could. Like, that's the other part with this is like, well, but I want to till it, you know, before my corn. Fine. Then till it next spring before the corn and, and do that. So I, I I don't, I just think so a better way to even say it is like fall tillage on soybean, like subble is just, unless you have a reason why you should, you know, consider just letting it sit there so i think bill too like so like you said more fuel low residue third negative would be high potential for snert we talked a lot about snert last year and yeah the erosion that you're gonna get is just crazy i think it it's it's so light and fluffy and you know that soil is so mellow after soybeans even there doesn't even a stiff breeze to move soil off your field at this point like let and, alone a hard rainfall. And like we just talked, there's no residue to hold it. Hold you it. know, not only does it make it light and fluffy, but there's nothing else there to displace water droplets or when snow melts to slow that water down as it melts to move, anything of that nature. So, so yeah, spend that tillage fuel on planting a cover crop. There you go. And I think... It's maybe not a huge problem, but some tillage you're going to spread. Like if you got soybean cyst nematode in your field entrances or low areas, you know, those are kind of some target areas for soybean cyst nematode. Any tillage, you're just going to spread those areas out, make them bigger. Especially soybean cysts. I mean, it's down under in the soil, so you don't really spread it with your combine. You know, it's not like water hemp or something like that. So I think that's a huge one that we aren't, thinking about that, that we know a cyst is out there we know it's a yield robber and all of a sudden you just took right after you made you know and in, in the soybean years when that population is going to be out there and explode and you're pulling it all around in that field and then from field to field you're transferring it too so that number i don't even know how you'd quantify how much tillage hurts us doing that but it's a it's a big number i mean you, yeah you're moving it from fields that maybe never had cyst nematode or the population's light you're moving it to those you're you're spreading within the field so basically that next two years when it's back into soybeans 
you're potentially going to have lower yield because you tilled when you didn't need to. So right. yeah, it's that one I think is a huge one. White mold too. There's more white mold out there this year than you know. As guys are combining, we're starting to see little pockets here and there. There too, you're you're just doing whatever you can to make that a problem for you in the future years. So what what do you think? Um, reasons for tillage would be though. I mean, we talked about ruts, but I think there's other ones. Um, my thought would be like traffic lanes. Like if you're depending, you know, it isn't as bad like corn silage where we find, you know, you get a really big corn silage field. Those dump carts are coming out at the same spot. You know, you're going to have issues there. Um, but potentially your grain cart could make. Yeah. Your grain cart or that spot where you're parking the semi, if you're moving yeah. into the field. Yep. And for me also headlands kind of are like every year should be a thing you should look at. Like, is there spots in the headlands, like you just said, Matt, the staging areas or the filling areas? Like, do those need to be worked? And what are you going to do? Are you going to just use a field cultivator or a vertical till? Or are you going to chisel? Or are you going to, like, you know, the subsoil? You know, so there's options or choices you need to make based on what those conditions are, too. Well, I think, like we've said before, when we talk about tillage and making tillage decisions, all the things we're talking about so far have been things that you're working part of the field. You don't have to work the whole field to fix these issues unless you have ruts through the whole field, in which case maybe you shouldn't have been out there. Right. But we've had those years. Oh, yeah. There are. Right. There are years where you don't have a choice. Right. But this doesn't so far seem to be that way that it's that there's more structure and it's, the combines are being held up fine so yeah it's been so far right so far. it's been really dry put the put the caveat on so far so far because yeah. it's been a tough tough couple days here <laughs> and todd added to our list too here or someone added if you're going to do fall fertilizer maybe you want to get that worked in a little bit which i can i can see that as well that one I think the lightest you can, that's a tough call too, because I've seen where vertical till on soybean stubbles makes that top two inches just super, you know, yeah, Yeah. like it, and and it's so mellow, like Matt said, that it just, then all of a sudden you lose that whole, you know, it'll go off with sheet erosion. So that's a tricky one. Just even what I was thinking on that is not necessarily like as light as you could possibly go, like a real light drag or, where you're going with shanks that are sort of wide apart, where in the middle, you know, almost like a strip till, but something where you get a little bit of residue in the middle or ridge, so the ridges capture some of that. But right, the yeah, upside of a strip till is you're you're banding your fertilizer right. kind of too, which is a good thing. Strip till for this case would be ideal. Right, it'd be great. You know what I've seen lately more of, and even yesterday driving around, saw guys out in the light rain, is guys that are doing like their vertical till machine and. I'm seeing it more and more putting a Valmar box or Gandy box on there. Yeah. They're doing cover crop with it. Right. So that at least when you're, when you are doing that light tillage, working your fertilizer in, you're putting something back out there to yep. hopefully hold in that soil that you've disturbed. Yes. Yeah. Good call, man. So I think that's a good thing too. I think one of the biggest things like we hear is just, you know, say the sun's out combining and grandpa or dad needs something to do. So he's just like tilling because cause it's his hobby, like, that's all. So, like, nah, that's the biggest frustration I have is it feels like a lot of this is just, well, 
grandpa needs something to do or dad needs something to do like he wants to get, get out of the house from grandma I, yeah like get him a fishing trip yeah what yeah. what do we we got to have like some teach, other teach, hobby teach him how to call geese or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i like that one get him a bow so he can sit out in the stand for bow hunting i don't know drop the grandkids off give them something to do my kids are playing that um the digital farming one ah what's the farm sim farm, farm. sim yeah. yeah they really need like a very realistic farm sim that you could chuck grandpa well, in like the tech uh, like tech's got that combine simulator yeah. just put them in that for a while yeah it? just say hey you're i like farm this sim. is really yeah better get this going and He's got to have some buddies he could play sheephead or euchre or something. <laughs> get get him a coffee clutch for they can sit and talk oh about the old God. days. Back Back in the day, <laughs> Dude, those kill me. They're fu- they're so funny. Like, yeah, yeah all the old guys Max talking about the McDonald's or a cafe years, or whatever. It's gonna be Max sixty years the, from now. It's gonna be Max sixty. I give him twenty. The coffee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I'm retired in twenty years, I'm. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> no, the coffee clutches that blow my mind are the ones that are there at 5.30 in the morning getting their coffee. You're tired. Sleep. Do something. They can't anymore. They're so used to getting up that early. Oh, yeah. my God. That's all the old farmers that have been getting up to milk cows or the, the guys working shift work that were getting up early in it's, the morning. It's true. Even in the winter, uh, my body's pretty trained from getting up in the summer early. That even in the winter when we don't have to, I mean, we're not trying to get to a field by 6.30. I don't. I have a hard time. I don't sleep much. So if I did it for it's, but I'm going on year seven or something. I guess by year forty, the chances of me sleeping are pretty low. <laughs> but yeah, find find him something to interest. Maybe get get out the old Ertl set, and he can yeah carpet farm carpet. Well, yeah, I don't no. say carpet farm, but you know, make it like a model type thing yeah. where he's building. <laughs> have him rebuild the farm as a model. Some lawn to cut. Don't don't get him any tables or anything. Have him make it all. Like that'll should, take him a while. He should have to sit in the shop and do all the sales meetings that come. All <laughs> the seed, all well, meet, with, meet with every seed dealer. Get all his free lunches. Yeah, yeah. He can weed it out for for you. Let him do the recon first. It's and, like your settling pond. Yeah. We need like a candle that gets that smell when you till soil, and you just light that <laughs> hey, and let do. them. Old earthworm. Do, yeah, they do make a. Um, I have scent like little scent wafers that go in all my hunting clothes with okay. the boxes, and it's fresh earth as a scent. I nice. Use. That would be and like. A, I just exactly I, what you think it smells like. I really think that that's, it's got to be a bad like, smell though, right? Like, so they don't want to. No, no. What I'm saying is like I think so that instead of getting it from the oh, soil, I, I, I think they like like oh yeah, that's it's like fresh cut grass. Yeah, you know what I mean? You, like then you get an audio recording of seagulls flying yeah. in <laughs> behind, and, and then you can put, yeah, them, put them in the tractor, but take the battery out. Right. <laughs> Oh, I think this could. I think this could work. I think this has legs. There's more. The amount of recreation tilling going on. There's more to it than guys just like driving tractor. Because we could get them a UTV then, and they could go tool around <laughs> on the roads, which they do anyway. I guess. But like, no, there there's definitely something more deep seated of the, that. You know, the smell, the feel, the whatever going on there. That's some sort of weird it's psych- like, psychological it's like, thing. It's like quitting smoking, right? First, there's <laughs> yeah. a nicotine addiction, right? <laughs> right? But then you got like, oh, I'm used to every morning I get up and have a cup of coffee and a cigarette. Or like, I'm used to having something in the corner of my mouth or whatever. Like, there's yep. all those other components to it. Yeah. We need a patch. I like this, man. A tillage yeah. patch. Yeah. Yep. Just get him a little garden area and <laughs> let him work it up as many times <laughs> as he wants. 
go to Fleet Farm and get one of those deer yeah. plot yeah. work, uh, the little tilling, tilling. machines. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. here's your 30 by 30. Yeah. Go, work go nuts. Go crazy. Times. Yeah, go nuts. Work that clay in the sand. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. There's some reasons not to work your bean fields. And even if you have to, maybe not work the whole thing, just the parts you need to. And a cover crop would be a great addition to that nice mellow soil. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So Asian copper leaf is found in Iowa once again. And no, that's not a bug. It is a plant. So Asian copper leaf is an invasive weed species that is native to China, Australia, and Japan. It was first found in the U.S. in New York in 1990. So it's not overly prevalent throughout the U.S., but it wasn't documented anywhere else until 2016 when it was discovered in a seed cornfield in Black Hawk County, Iowa. Now it seems to be popping up again. No one's really sure exactly why it showed up. They thought they had kind of fixed the issue with that one field. But, yeah, it's it's there, and is that potential? You know, un- unfortunately, with new invasive species, we don't know what all the issues may be moving on. All we need to know is that if we can keep it from becoming overly prevalent, it makes it less of an issue, so... Uh, field agronomist at Iowa State University said the weed's presence is a cause for some concern uh, because it could be a threat to row crops and it has shown resistance to group 9 and group 14 herbicides. It's the next water hemp. Here it comes. You never know. I like that they said they have no idea how it got here, how it moved all these counties. I think that's funny. Maybe it I know exactly how it moved between those counties. I do too, because it was in Grundy County, so it was at the auction. <laughs> Maybe it came in those seed packets guys got last year. Oh, oh yeah, well, there you go. The mysterious seed packets. Dang, I didn't even think about that. That's so, about a year ago, isn't it? Yeah, two years ago. Two years ago. No, I would. I was gonna say like, well, I have an idea. I mean. They said no link, so it's probably not the custom harvester, right? Because that'd be the first place you'd look. But, like, turkeys, deer, geese. Yeah, really, any kind of bird could have yeah. carried it a pretty good distance. The agronomist. <laughs> Happens. Putting them weed seeds in his pocket. So there you go. We'll keep an eye on that one. Hopefully it doesn't turn into a major issue, but something to be aware of. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. All right, today we're going to talk World Dairy Expo, serving as the meeting place of the global dairy industry. World Dairy Expo brings together the latest in dairy innovation and the best cattle in North America. Crowds of approximately 70,000 people from 100 countries visit Madison, Wisconsin annually, one of the world's largest dairy-focused trade show, dairy and forage seminars, and a world-class dairy cattle show and more are on display. All began in Waterloo, Iowa. 
The town had a special aura for showmen and dairy people and annually hosted the National Dairy Cattle Congress show. When the show began experiencing financial difficulties in the mid-1960s, Wisconsinite Alan Hetz swooped in to save the day. A Fort Atkinson breeder, Hetz sensed a change in the show and feared that the dairy shows would soon be a thing of the past. So in 1963, Hetz determinedly began gathering a group of visionaries to establish a new show. When the National Hosting Association Board of Directors unanimously voted to withhold the designation of the National Holstein Show in December 1965, Hetz, along with farmers, governmental and educational leaders, and agribusiness heads throughout Wisconsin, created a corporation called the World Food and Agricultural Foundation. Meanwhile, completion of the Dane County Veterans Memorial Coliseum provided Madison with one of the nation's hottest exposition sites in April 1967. Now part of the Alliant Energy Center, the Memorial Coliseum held the first World Food Expo in September 1967, making the event one of the war, one of the venue's earliest clientele. It is. It is. I've been to the Expo Center. I'm sure you guys have too. It is funny that it says here the uh, nation's hottest exposition site. Like that That's place a, was the yeah. hot spot at some the hot point. Hot spot in yeah. 1967. Well. I guess in 67, that's a long yeah. time ago. Because, <laughs> yeah, Veterans Memorial Coliseum, not, I would not call it a hot spot for exposition. Nope. It is kind of crazy how much, you know, because I'm sure it wasn't quite as built up around right. the area as it no. is now, that there's still dragon cattle trailers and well, stuff so on the belt line. To, to the, get there. And this is very timely, Bill, because it's actually the last year of their contract. Oh, with, is it? Yeah. So, so it's up uh, in the air? It's kind of, I haven't heard if, during the show, it got locked down or anything of where they're going, but I can't yeah, imagine them I, moving. I, like, wouldn't it be crazy if it went to the Dells or the or back to Waterloo, Iowa, or something? Like, if it didn't, I know through COVID that was not great because Madison was very shut down and yeah, they weren't up allowing yeah. anything. So I know there's still some, you know, like that whole deal was not not good. Can you imagine they have this at the Wildwood Sports Complex next year in the bubble, in the Dells? <laughs> That'd be nuts. I would hope at least, yeah, if it does move, that it stays within Wisconsin because it's been kind of a, a staple here for a long time. So, I've never been. I really would like to go. There's, there's a lot of UW-Madison students that got I, bad oh, grades that week. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot that work there, too. Oh, they yeah, volunteer oh, yeah. for it. And, yeah, they like... Oh, I, hey, there's did you of, help during no, it? I never oh, did. you never did? Oh, I, I did a couple years and just... You know, grab we, garbages and did you know like you just Badger I, Dairy Club had to sign up to do Falls, stuff. We did watch parties for the yeah. World Dairy. Like we nice. drank beer and watched the shows. And, oh, I sure. mean, we drank uh, water because I was a freshman <laughs> um, and watched the shows in our in our dorms. Like between classes, probably might just skip one or two, and then at night, like every night, you watched you know whatever show you know whatever class was up because yeah. they live stream every class. You sure. know, so. And yeah. you get to see people you know. That's the cool part, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. So hopefully it stays there. Or I, They had to have figured that out, I'm sure. But, like, yeah, it would be a, would be a shame. If I think it's an interesting thing in that article when it said in the 1960s they were worried about, like, dairy showing being done. And 
I mean, now it feels like, especially county fairs are way different than they were even 30 years ago, well, let alone than the 60s. So much you know, more just, high-end stuff, right? Right. And it's just less farms. So you got, like, less people showing, and, yeah, it's just different. But Here it does say... It says the expo is going to be October 1st through the 6th, 2023, and it's on the website. It doesn't say a change of venue or anything. Hmm. So I don't know. So hopefully they didn't get it all set. Yeah, that'd be just. <laughs> it feels just part of that. Yes. Could we go live from World Dairy Expo next year? <laughs> get some sweet grilled cheeses. I know we, my my cousin's boyfriend was in charge of that. I think last year or last no, they have it last year again after COVID. When was whatever the last time was? He was like in charge of the grilled cheese thing, and they could put a lot of butter into that system. <laughs> Yeah, they had the, they probably had not the most healthy it. sandwich, but they had a video of it on the news the other day from the grilled cheese hut, and you're just watching them. Yeah, they yeah stick a butter on every yeah, sandwich. not sure, probably not pretty sh- close. Yeah, not, if you're lactose intolerant, the grilled cheese at the World <laughs> Dairy Expo really not for you. Would kill you probably. I'd still eat it. <laughs> Would we go live from like the trade show or like just sit in the no, audience like way up no, top. No, it should be a live show of us doing the cattle judging and then see who gets the closest <laughs> to picking the winners. Oh, I'd be so bad. I was so bad at that. Really? I was not good. No, why do you think no. I ended up in craps part of it? Like, no, I was... Especially like when they got to where you need to give oral reasons. I hate it. Like, I just be like, well, because that one just looks better than that one. I don't know. What <laughs> that, you, that one's ugly. That one's bad. Yeah. Know. Furthermore. Yes. Yeah. That one there. See that little guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, this one's got four teats like it should. Uh, it's got a tail, some ears. Yeah, just all around the whole package right there. Todd, that, that, your, that there's a cow. All your dairy buddies are just rolling. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> and, they, and like I said, they were very good at like. Yeah, it, the same way when I describe a seed corn that they just don't care, you right. know. Just, yeah, when you call it, when you call it, refer to a corn as leggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's corn, dude. Yeah. Todd did. Todd actually said that to me once this summer, and I was like, "Shut up, Todd." <laughs> Some leggy corn. leggy corn. He's like, "That one's real leggy," and I said, "Well, it's four feet tall, so no, it's not actually." Todd. <laughs> did he then start like singing ZZ Top? It's got legs. Yeah. Knows how to use them. Yep. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe and tell a farmer friend about the podcast. How you can find us is search Tilt Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone or on Android. You'll have to download an app like Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. You can also listen on a computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltegg.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. Thanks, Todd. All right. Now it's time for our Cool Beans That's Corny and some current events. So, Cool Beans? Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. All right. This week, our Cool Beans is the USDA unveils a $500 million stimulus program for domestic fertilizer production. The Biden administration announced the $500 million in grant money to stimulate American-made fertilizer production. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack unveiled the new grant program called the Fertilizer Production Expansion Program, or FFPP. Doesn't make a very good acronym. Uh, <clears throat> on September 27th, agronomist Emerson Nasviger 
A crop specialist for the University of Illinois Extension for the last 36 years said he was intrigued and surprised to hear the announcement. Increased domestic production of fertilizer is not a phrase we've heard often from federal government. He's interested to hear what other agriculture policy watchers have to say about the effort. It's an unusual step for the government to try to manipulate supply for inputs like that. Under the new program, grants would be used to support independent, innovative, and sustainable American fertilizer production to supply American farmers. The goal is to expand the manufacturing and processing of fertilizer and nutrient alternatives in the U.S. and its territories. Due to recent supply chain disruptions, uh, Vilsack said it has shown how critical it is to invest in the agricultural supply chain here at home. Correct. Yeah. No, it'd be nice to, Deal. Ni- nice to be able to see some, some steadying of that market after the last year and a half here so well, it's been steady steady on the rise <laughs> come on now it went down for a little bit before it went back up it's nafsinger nafsinger emerson nafsinger yeah he's okay. awesome have you seen him speak no he's, he's really good he's yeah just like a state specialist for them and he's he's great nice all right where'd you see him no uh, at some con- yeah conference 10 years somewhere. ago at a conference i I think it was an NACC thing, yeah. All right, and our That's Corny this week. The low Mississippi River levels, slow shipments, threatening grain prices. Feels like not too long ago we were talking about how the high river was causing issues getting grain down the river. Right. And now it's the low river issue that is threatening grain prices. So just as corn and soybeans harvest are ramping up, Commercial barges on the southern stretches of the Mississippi River came to a standstill last week. Ongoing drought in portions of the Midwest and West have brought the Missouri and Mississippi rivers to historic lows, limiting the transport of crops and inputs in both directions. Inability to move grain downriver will likely mean lower prices for both corn and soybeans as new crop comes in. National Weather Service is predicting that the reading at Memphis, Tennessee will reach the second lowest level ever by yesterday, the 13th. Corp, uh, the Corps officials in Louisiana are saying that the river level is so low, the Gulf of Mexico's saltwater has been creeping closer than usual Ooh. to New Orleans threatening drinking water. They've got a nice picture here of pretty dry looking riverbed somewhere down in Mississippi. So... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's not great. Seems like we it's either one thing or another. No, no in between. So hopefully, I mean, we're getting some. We've received some rain the last few days here in Wisconsin. Hopefully, it'll be a slight improvement to conditions, but I don't think we've gotten a significant amount to really make a big impact. All right, our field good Friday moment then for today is take a moment to thank a farmer this week as National Farmers Day was October 12th, this past Wednesday. This time of year, you don't have to drive far in Wisconsin to see combines running in the fields, tractors moving equipment, or trucks hauling grain. Wisconsin farmers are working from sunrise to long past sunset to harvest their crops and prepare their farms for winter. During this busy time, it's fitting that we share our appreciation to farmers. National Farmers Day is October 12th, 2022. So hopefully you thank the Wisconsin farmer. It's not too late. 
even though it's not no longer National Farmers Day, you can still thank a farmer for what they do for the food chain. It does feel good. We do have a National Farmers Day. I think that's important. Is it always that day, or is it just like a random Wednesday? That's the the one unfortunate thing is there's so many today is National Whatever Day. It's hard to keep track of whether it's it's a consistent thing or it says it's always October twelfth. Okay. Well there you go. So if you miss this one, only three hundred and sixty two more days until National Farmers <laughs> Day next year. So uh just so you know, today is National Real Sugar Day, National Be Bald and Be Free Day, and National Dessert Day. <laughs> All right. Well, I was unaware the bald people were being oppressed, but <laughs> more power to you, baldies. Oh, Be free. Whatever. No. Come on. Whatever. No. You with all your hair. Can just... yeah. <laughs> Us over here losing yeah. our hair. We, we like Be Bald and Be Free days. Yes. <laughs> Genetics are a wonderful and terrible thing. <laughs> it's all, all a lovely little lottery that we play. Blame your maternal grandfather. <laughs> well, mine was bald, so I don't know what, what the problem is. You're but breaking the mold. I guess. Recessive genes do hang in once in a while. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So today we talked about reasons not to work your soybean fields as we move into fall, unless they really need it, whether it's because of compaction, ruts, or the need to incorporate some fertilizer. In our spotlight, we looked at Asian copper leaf, an invasive species that has kind of cropped in and out of our purview for the last few years and something we hope won't become a major issue. Ag History Minute, we talked about the history of World Dairy Expo. Cool Beans was a new $500 million stimulus program for domestic fertilizer production. That's corny, was historic low levels of Mississippi River may threaten grain prices. And our field good Friday was to remember to thank a farmer for all they do for us. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.